He said them just right, didn't he? It's good. But we love you guys, and it's a privilege to walk in this church, to have this church together with you. And uh, we count it a privilege to minister here in this region. We're excited about all the things that we're going to all do together uh, throughout our lifetime here in the 757. So as you know, uh, we're in a series called Watch Your Mouth. And so we're doing some giveaways at the beginning of every service. We've been asking you to do some things on social media. This past week it was uh, put a lyric to a song, uh, a quote from a song. And so I've got one for Mary Hatton. I don't know if Mary is in here. I saw Everett in here. Mary Hatton, I'm going to give one to her and then one to Scotty Marshall. I don't know if Scotty is in here or not, but if she's not, I'm going to get that to her so you can check on Facebook to see there. Uh, none of you are clapping because you're bitter that I didn't pick you. Come on, shame on you. Give a little love. Give a little love. So I'm going to have Scotty's up here, and then uh, we'll make sure she gets that. If her, if her kids are here, then we'll make sure they get it, which means that she won't. So, so, so next week's challenge is that. So every week you can you can be a uh, you can qualify for one of these one of these giveaways. Is that we want you to put something on social media that your a parent said to you that was encouraging growing up. Just something short. Maybe you lived with an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, but but somebody in the house that you grew up in, a, a parent, somebody that, that, that helped to raise you, something encouraging that they spoke into your life. Hashtag it. Watch your mouth, and then tag it at City Life VA, and that's how we can search and find those that we can pick from. So as you know, the, the, uh, the, the verse that's kind of inspired this series is 1 Peter 3.10. 1 Peter 3.10, and it says, For the Scripture says, which is a point back to Psalm 34, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips and your lips from telling lies. So Steve kicked us off. Pastor Jamie's been putting together some amazing sermons in Williamsburg. I know Pastor Justin has preached there. I've done some here. Then I think Pastor Jamie, I think it's next week, he's going to come here. I'm excited because it's going to be my first opportunity to go and be at the new location for the Williamsburg campus. This has just been, an, an, I know, an amazing series that has challenged all of us with the importance of understanding the power of our words. I was thinking just, just as to, to kind of get us uh, focused in the direction that we're going to go into tonight. I was thinking our oldest, Derek, turned 15 this summer. It's crazy, isn't it? He posted on Instagram a picture of he and, and Caden Giroux when they were, I think it was, was it, Tom, was it Nate's wedding? It was so one of their weddings, and they were just little in their tuxedos, hilarious. 15. So you know now that he's turned 15, what do we have to do as a mother and father? Anybody? We have to pray. Who said that? Come on. Well done, sir. If I had another card up here, it would be yours. So somebody said that. So we got to teach him how to, I heard somebody say it. Yeah, we got to teach him how to drive. Huh. Scary. Scary. Anybody have to teach their child how to drive in the last couple of years? I see Rebecca's hand coming up. I see there. Oh, yeah. See, see. I, I'm a little bit intimidated by that because I know I have some perfectionistic tendencies, so I might need some prayer before I step into the car with them to help teach him how to drive. But then it got me thinking, I wonder what kind of driving habits he's going to develop that are going to irritate other people. Because you might, you don't realize you have some, right? We all have driving. So, so we like participation here. What are some driving habits that other people have that irritate you? Can, oh, I, hands are going up all over. We've struck a chord. All, I can't see, so I think that's Dustin. Driving slow. Can we just give? Can we just pray for all those people just for a minute? Stopping on a yield. Stopping on a yield. I'm, I'm with you. Who else? Emily? 
Not using a blinker. Uh, that's got, got to double down. Yes, ma'am. The blinker on all the time and never turn, never turning it off. Yeah, on a road trip, three hours later. Slow in an acceleration lane. Slow in an acceleration lane. Dick critiques all the other drivers, but I'm the only one that gets to hear it. The, the whole time he's driving. So your irritation is his critique of other drivers. <laughs> Marriage counseling, we have it right here at this church. Tailgating. Tailgating. Not knowing how to merge. Not knowing, not knowing how to merge. Please. Yes. Yes. Slamming on the brakes, then your signal. We're going to pretend like we don't see the law enforcement people here. Somebody else. Put me on while you're driving. All right. Have you ever gotten a ticket for that? Not yet, but you're working. Oh, not yet. Okay. All right. Refusing to make a right turn at a red. And did you know that you can do left on red if you're on a one way going onto a one way? Yeah, I know. Be informed, please. All right. I know my big one is, the, is on the interstate, the person that drives in the far left lane, which is the fast lane, right? And that they're like the moral authority for the world. Like that they settle on the speed that they think that everyone else should be going. Then they park there and then I get behind them and I'm doing the European flashing my lights to let them know nicely, right? That, that you should get over so I can go. And then they don't move. It is though they're saying, oh, I've got your best interest at heart, mister, right? <laughs> I've got your best interest at. And then I have to really speed by them really fast so that they don't see the whysaturday.com on the back of my car and go on and know that I'm the pastor. Or they might show up to complain. So, so what, what, if, what if we drove in a world where there were no rules? What if there were just no rules, right? Some of you are like, come on, bring it on, right? Road warrior, I'm there. But it would be dangerous, it would be harmful, it would be frightening, it would be scary, it would be unsafe, but for most of us, that's how we drive our mouths throughout our lives. We, we drive this thing called a mouth in our world without any thought to the, wor- the rules of the road that God has given to us through His Word. To get your driver's permit, you had to study. You had to take a test. Driver's ed was included when I went to, to high school back in 1940. And, and right, we had a trailer that we were in. There was a driving simulator. I'm just kidding, but it was the 80s. There was a driving simulator that had these horrible graphics on it, but you had to get a certain score on the simulator before you could get behind the wheel. And then you, you got behind the wheel in a parking lot that was a driving course, and you had to get a certain score on that before you could get on the actual road where you had the potential to harm people. There were all these gates that you had to pass through before we're given a permit, but when we're born, we're given this. But our responsibility is no less. God says, study, understand the rules of the road, because if we don't, then we're going to end up crashing into a lot of people and leaving harm in our wake. I'm going to jump through some of these, so if you're following us on version, I'm going to mess you up a little bit. Uh, but I want, to, I want to jump down to this one first. I want to jump down to the first rule I want to give you is that we're judged both on content and intent. One of the rules of the road with our mouth is that God wants us to understand that we're responsible for both the content 
of our words and the intent, the intentions that are behind them. If you're, if you're only responsible for the intention, if you think that you're only responsible for the intention, then you use whatever words you want, and then when you hurt someone's feelings, you simply say, well, that's not what I meant, and you think that you're off the hook. But the Bible says, no, 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 I'm responsible for the content, which means that the words that they use, and the, then you're responsible there for the effect that it has on the other person, the content and the intent. Now, where do I get that from? I get that because there's two important words in the Bible that, that speak to the, this idea of word, the language of word. In the Greek, there's two. It, it's logos and rhema. Now, now, if you were to come up at the end of the service, like last week at the end of Sharon Thomas's message, come on, amazing message last week, right? I'm texting her later on, I'm saying, texting her and Marvin and saying, come on, that was a great word that you shared with us. That's, that's logos. It means that everything that you said, the, it means that the, 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 uh, the, the information that you, that you put together, the intentions of your heart through the message that you wanted to give us, that's Logos. If you were to come up to, to somebody at the end of the sermon and say, hey, you used a, a certain word in this one point that I didn't recognize, that's Rhema. It's just, it just means the, the specific word. Now, there's all kinds of prophetic teaching about these two words, and it's a great study, but there's also a simplicity to these two ideas that I think that gets missed sometimes because of all the prophetic teaching that goes with it. They're both good, but we need to understand the, the, the practical nature of the language. Logos is this idea of the, the bigness of, of what's being said, the intent. And rhema is the actual word that is spoken. Both of these are important in our communication with people. Let me tell you why that is. In Matthew 12, 36. Matthew 12, 36. So you'll know that I'm just not making this stuff up. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word, which in the Greek is rhema, that you speak. So God cares about the specific words that you and I choose to communicate and convey the intentions of our heart. Our words, they matter. So last weekend, uh, Ethan and I were up in Landover, Maryland at the Redskins game. Come on, Ryan. So we were excited because we won, and that doesn't happen a whole lot if you're a Redskins fan. And I've been a lifelong Redskins fan, so I'm allowed to say that. And if you've been rooting for them for a long time, you understand that too. So one of the unique things about being in the stadium is that the majority of the people there have had about 100 times the amount of alcohol that any human being should have, right? Uh, it's just, it's, and I don't even know how they can afford to buy that much alcohol in the stadium because of, of what it costs, right? We save up just to each get a water bottle. And then it's aggravating because they won't give you the top of the water bottle because all the drunk people, they throw the tops. So the sober people, we have to walk around with this $20 bottle of water saying, please, God, don't let me spill this. So we're going to start smuggling in our own water bottle tops, I've decided. So, so we're in there, right? And at the end of the game, people are just sloppy drunk and they're excited because they won, which is a bad combination. So, so there's, there's tens of thousands, there's probably, I don't know, 50,000 people in this stadium. It's packed out. And, and, and so we're, we, to, because there was such a long line for the escalator to go down, we ducked into a stairwell. I, I'm pretty sure with the 25 most intoxicated people that were there. And as we're coming down the stairwell, there was lots of words that were used. And, and so when we get to the end, Ethan's laughing and he looks at me and he says, Wow. Those are some words in that stairwell, huh, Dad? And I said, yeah, there sure were, right? It was just, it was almost laughable. The, the, it's like they were just throwing up vulgarity. Now, we laugh at that story, but you know, every one of those people, one day they're going to stand before God, 
and he's going to say, do you remember that day you were in that stairwell and there were women and children there and you said this word and you said that word? It matters to him because it's a rule of the road. We're driving our mouth through this world and God says every word that we speak is heard by him and we're going to give an account. How about James 3.2? Let's talk about this idea of responsible for the intent, not just the content, but the intent. James 3.2 says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, and in the Greek, logos is here, not rhema. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, meaning the, the intent of the words that you're speaking, if your intentions are good. Now listen to what it says. I've not done an exhaustive study on this, but I think this is the only time in the Bible that we're told that if we do this, we'll be perfect. And if you believe that God's not given to hyperbole, that means that he takes this pretty seriously. Listen to what it says. He is a perfect man, or she is a perfect woman, able to bridle the whole body as well. I am responsible for the content of my words and my conversations, and I am responsible for the intent of the words and my conversations. When I'm engaging you in a conversation, I'm responsible to make sure that I'm picking words that are going to rightly articulate what's in my heart and in my mind, but I'm also responsible to pick the ones that I know are going to be kind and gracious, which we're going to get to that in just a minute. I'm responsible for the words and I'm responsible for the heart that is behind them. A couple of weeks ago, I shared the message, I think it was the second week in our series, that just talked about how our, our words are preparing a future that we're going to one day live in. At the end of the service, I was talking to some of the, the college young professionals that sit right here, and then I said, hey, how are you doing? He said, well, I'm a little scared to really say anything at this point, if I could just say that. And I'm thinking, good, right? Because all of us would do well to be a little bit more thoughtful about what comes out of this mouth. Like a car that is careening out of control down the road. If we were to see that, we're dialing 911 because we don't want anyone to get hurt. But for some of us, that's our mouth in the world that we live in. And God says, come on, get it under control. All right, let me give you another one. Judged on both content and intent. I'm going to jump down to God revealed through me. God revealed through me. Now, I want to read a couple of chunks of text to you. This is out of John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. This is one of the rules of the road with our mouths, that God wants to use our words to reveal Him to the world. John 1, 14 through 18, I'm reading out of the New American Standard. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as the only begotten, means he's the only Son of God, the only begotten from the Father. Listen to what it says, and this is the phrase that we're going to unpack. Full of grace and truth. We're going to look at all three of those words. We're going to look at full grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I. For he existed before me. That's one of the reasons why Jesus is set apart from any other religious leader is what we call the pre-existence of Christ. Jesus existed before he was born into this world, sets him apart from any other person that's walked on this earth. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. 
for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now listen to what it says. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father. And it says, for he has explained him. Or another translation renders it, he has revealed him. Because he was full of grace and truth, which is the embodiment of the character of God, that God was revealed to the world. Now I believe that we have a responsibility to walk in that same calling. We'll never walk in it to the degree that Jesus did, but because we are also children of the Father, we have to walk in that same mandate. It's a rule of the road. He was in the world. Listen to verse 10. I'm going to back up. Speaking of Jesus, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave them, that's us, the right to become the children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man, but of God. That's why we say when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, you take your first spiritual breath. You're born into the family. Every person that's on the earth is part of his creation, but only people that have made a vow of devotion to Christ are part of his family. And when we're born into the family because we make a vow of devotion to Christ, there is a responsibility we now have with how we drive these mouths. And one of the responsibilities that we have is to always ask ourselves the question, are my words, both their content and their intent, are they revealing God to my world? A couple of weeks ago, I said, hey, every time you have a conversation with someone, you get to go home, but the words that you spoke become a person that remains with them in their life. Is that person, is the word of who that person is through the conversation that you're walking away from revealing them, revealing them to God's grace and His love and His purposes? Even when we have to have hard conversations, we should be able to do them in such a way that when we walk away, that it leaves that person with a sense, there is a God in the world and He loves me. So let me talk about this word full. These notes are going to be online. It's P-L-E-R-O-P-H-O-R-E-O. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. But in the Greek, it means full. Let me give you a couple of examples of where you find it elsewhere in the Bible. The feeding of the 5,000, there were 12 basketfuls left over. That word full, it's the same word that we find here in John chapter 1 where it says that Jesus was full of both grace and truth. We understand this picture of these baskets. They're overflowing. You couldn't have put another thing in there. That's how Jesus was with grace and truth. When it talks about Stephen being full of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons why he was selected to be one of the first deacons, he was full. The Holy Spirit was, the, this, the, again, the connotation of this word is that there could not have been any more of God in this man. The last one is that when grain is spoken of in Scripture as being fully mature and ready for harvest, it's the same word, full. See, the only way my words are going to be ready to reveal God to the world is if they are full of the right things. And full means that they are mature, and the only way those words can be mature is if they are full of both grace and truth. Jesus revealed God to the world because He is the, 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 the living Word. You read John chapter 1, if you've never read that, it talks about He was the, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's an incredible challenge, isn't it? Is it not? That Jesus says to us, the Father says to us, the Holy Spirit says to us, what, how I want you to drive your mouth 
through the words that you speak is that you are continually through everything that comes out of here is saying to the world, there is a God and that He loves you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a tough standard. And I fail at that more often than I succeed, but just because I'm a bad driver doesn't mean the rules should change. I've got to change my driving to match the rules and the expectations that God has of me. Everything that God asks of us in its fullness is impossible. But that doesn't mean he gives us permission to stop trying to get better. Grace in the Greek is charis. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this in truth because there's a self-evidencing quality. These aren't just Christian words, but they're words that are part of the vernacular, even the secular society in which we live. But let me just give you a couple of short definitions. Grace means goodwill. It means loving kindness and favor, that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. The nature of grace is that it's not based on the merit of the receiver, but the character of the giver. Truth is the word althea, A-L-T-H-E-I-A. We uh, served in ministry at Mechanicsville Christian Center. There was a deacon couple there. Her name was Althea. I thought, that is an awesome name, isn't it not? It means truth. It means candor. It means verifiable. It means unelaborated. It means factual, unvarnished, and complete. So let me give you this thought, and I want to move on to one more. Truth without grace becomes an accusation. Grace without truth becomes flattery. But when my words are full of both grace and truth, I glorify God and He is revealed to my world. Let me say that last part again. But when my words are full of grace and truth, I glorify God and He is revealed, He is revealed to my world. God revealed through me. It's a rule of the road. Divine intervention required. I'm going to skip that one. Judged on both content and intent. We did that one. I want to talk about volume matters. Volume matters. Not talking about how loud it is. Talking about volume as in quantity. Volume matters. Let me read to you Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. This is the New Living Translation. It says, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. The, the, the Israelites in ancient times took this literally. They had these little boxes. They were called phylacteries and they tied them to their forehead and to their wrist and inside of it these little tiny scrolls that had the, the Word of God written on them. They never wanted to be without it. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Why, why is God saying that? Because he knows one of the rules of the road that he creates with our words is that words matter when it comes to their volume. How, how much you get because words shape, because words influence, because words direct, because words they can both criticize and they build up. Words that you know from the words that have been spoken to you in your life and some of the people that have been reckless drivers, the impact that that's had on your life. God says to you and to me, value matters. So as parents, we have a responsibility to make sure that nobody else is speaking more words into them than we are. We should be winning the race, the game, whatever metaphor you want to use, 
that we're putting the greatest number of words into our child's heart. Social media. I'm a big fan of social media. I don't want to go back in the world without it. I don't. I don't. But social media has multiplied the number of words that come into our lives. It's multiplied the number of words that come into our lives. We have a responsibility as devoted followers of Christ, especially as parents, to make sure that we're not just keeping pace with the words that a secular society is putting into our child's life, but we should be surpassing it. We, want the, we don't want to just be equal. We want to tip the scale that words of life and godliness and vision and truth, volume matters. That's why Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, and I believe it's in the 15th chapter, it's 1533, it says, bad company corrupts good character. You know why that is? Because they talk to each other when they're together. They talk to each other when they're together. Bad company corrupts good character because when they're with each other, there's influence. It's called peer pressure. We get it. You and I have a responsibility to manage the amount of words that are coming into our lives that are not godly. I'm not telling you to stop going to the movies. I'm not, I'm not telling you to, to only listen to Christian music. I'm not telling you that. There's music that I like to listen to sometimes that's, that, that's not Christian music. There's movies that I like to go to that, that would, would probably say that's not the same as War Room. But I have a responsibility to manage the volume of those words into my life. I have a responsibility. Television shows that I watch, commercials that I watch, conversations that I have with people. Are you managing the volume of words that are coming into your life whose source is not the creator of the universe? You know one of the reasons why we talk to people all the time? Come to church every week. Don't be that I'm a once a monther. Come every week. You know why? Because it ups your volume of godliness. We say, hey, don't, don't show up 20 minutes late. You know why? Because you missed 20 minutes of good words being spoken into your life. We say, hey, don't just read the Bible once a month. I know it's hard to read it every day, so read it most days. You know why? Because it increases the volume of godly words into your life. Volume matters. It's a rule of the road because those words are shaping who you are and the person that you become. And guess what? If you get this one right, I'm telling you, it makes a lot of these other rules a lot easier because as we've already said many times in this series, out of the overflow of my heart, my mouth speaks and words shape our hearts. Manage your volume. Wow, I'm going to be able to do my last one. I think God has slowed down time. Hope He does that tomorrow. I'm preaching, if you saw it on social media, I'm preaching at North Riverside Baptist Church for the first time where we've been renting offices for years. I'm, they're, they're letting me preach for the next two weeks. Their, their interim pastor is out on maternity leave, but I only get about 25 minutes. So I think there could be a modern-day miracle tomorrow if I preach for 25 minutes. We'll see. Pray for me. I hope to see some of you there. It's going to be a good time together. All right, let me do this last one. Divine intervention is required because everything that we've been talking about tonight, it's impossible unless God does something supernatural in your life. Jeremiah 1, 9 through 10, then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth. Come on, do that for all of us tonight, God. He reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I have put my words in your mouth. And today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms 
And some of you must uproot, uh, some, some you must uproot and tear down and destroy and overthrow, and others you must build up and plant. And that was going to be accomplished through the prophetic word that God put into Jeremiah's mouth. Now, you hear me say this a lot if you've been here for any amount of time. This is the fill-in-the-blank text. It's important to understand so many places in the Bible it's a fill-in-the-blank text. And, and if you get that, then you can relate to the Bible as you're supposed to. But many of you might say, well, I'm not ever going to have a prophetic calling, so this really has no relevance to me, but it's a fill-in-the-blank text, which means that whatever your calling is, God's going to touch your mouth and put the words that you need to speak. Because God loves you just as He loves much as Jeremiah. God has a destiny and calling for you just as much as He did Jeremiah. If there were to be another Bible written, which there's not going to be, the canonization of Scripture is complete by God's divine will in history, and the one we've got is the one that He wanted us to have. But if there were going to be another one written, most of us would, 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 I would dare say none of us would be in it. But it doesn't mean that God's purpose for you is any less. And it doesn't mean that He understands that you need a touch from Him. There's something that He's got to put in you so you have the words that you need. So I thought, you know, let's read this for homeschool stay-at-moms. How about that? Since my wife is one. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I have called you to be an educator of children, a wife and a mother, an exhorter and an encourager and a homemaker. So today I stand, I appoint you to stand, and in your child, and even sometimes in your husband, you're going to have to uproot some behaviors that don't belong, tear down and destroy and overthrow, but there'll be times where I also give you words to say that build up and plant. You, you put your name, I'm telling you, in this verse before you go to bed tonight, and you imagine something like I shared with you just now, based on who you are, based on your life role, based on your vocation. God wants to touch your mouth and put something inside of you so that you've got the words that you need to be the person that He's created you to be in the world, so that we'll stop driving so recklessly through this life, so that our words will, will begin to reveal Jesus and God to the world in which we live. Listen to Matthew 10, 19. When you are arrested, hopefully that won't happen to you, when you're putting your makeup on while you're driving. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. It's a fill-in-the-blank text, people. Fill-in-the-blank. It means that when you find yourself in a circumstance, in a situation that's beyond your own ability, God wants to put the words in your mouth so you know what you need to say. Can we just start praying that more? How about when you know you're going into a staff meeting that's going to be tense? How about when you know you're going to sit down with your spouse and have a conversation that you know is going to be hard? How about when you need to sit down with your children and talk with them with some things that are going to be difficult? How about in your church family, not that that would ever happen here at the City Life Church, where there would be tension between you and another person and you have to sit down and, and say some things to each other that need to be said? Could we not begin that conversation on the way there as we're driving in the car? Jesus, touch my mouth. Father, I'm your Jeremiah today. It's not in here, but I know you can put it in there so that when I open my mouth that your words would come out and not just my own. If we begin to pray that way as we drive these mouths through the world, I'm telling you, we can change the world in which we live. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Ephesians 4.29, love this verse. Ephesians 4.29 
One translation renders it, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. In the New Living Translation, it says, don't use foul or abusive language. I like the broader rendering there that you'll find in, in, in some other texts like the King James or the NIV and New American Standard. It's not so specific because I think sometimes we can say, well, if my language isn't abusive or if it isn't foul, I've met the standard. But I, I like, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Because if we follow the rules of the road, it will be. Did you know that we speak enough words in three months to fill a novel the size of War and Peace? Now, some of you get there in about three days. For me, it might take a little bit longer. But, but that novel, War and Peace, depending on, because it's, you know, it's written in Russian, and when you translate it, it, it varies around in, in different translations, but it's pretty close to 600,000 words. That's personally why I've never read it. So let me ask you this question. How does the library of your lifetime of conversations read? How does the library of your lifetime of conversations read? What section of the library would they be in? Horror films? <laughs> True stories that inspire people to live better? You pick. So that's what our lives are. It's a book that's being written, a story that's being told. Based on the actions of each of us and the words that we speak. They're written down. Can you imagine? The Bible doesn't say this specifically, but I like to think that when we get to heaven, one of the things that we're going to do is that God's going to give us a whole bunch of books. Some of us are going to be excited about that, and some of us aren't. And he's going to say, I want you to start at the beginning, and I want you to read page one, chapter one, all the way up to the very end. And after you're done, we're going to sit down and we're going to have a conversation. How would that change the way that we live and the words that we say? Stand with me as we worship. Father, in the sacredness of this moment, I know, I feel it. You have our attention. You have our attention. For every one of us, whatever it is that we need to hear from you right now, we're listening. Speak your word deep into our hearts in such a way that we're changed forever. Let's worship.